0: There are a lot of challenges entrepreneurs face every day, but let me throw one at you. It's March of 2020, and the COVID-19 pandemic has just shut down travel. It's also shut down schools, and two parts of your entrepreneurial effort have now been both affected. Yes, you not only run group tours, you run them for students. Now let me throw another thing at you. Most of those students and their parents have already paid for the group trips. You've already taken many of those expenses and sent them on to airlines and bus tours and tickets and all sorts of theme parks and historic sites. And now you're stuck. Do you give that money back to the families money you don't have, money that you need to take to pay many of your employees to keep your business going and operational and keep food on their table? Or do you return it back to the families who come from all sorts of backgrounds so they can have money on their table? Because there's these trips aren't happening. The schools are shut down. The travel is shut down. It's just a nightmare. In addition to try to keep your self-funded and to keep your company up and running and to keep your employees paid, you're now trying to apply for the PPP loans given out by the federal government since they just shut down all of your travel and all of your schools. It's a nightmare. It really is. And this is the nightmare that Karen Hoffman and her family were living in the spring of 2020. But Karen is an amazing entrepreneur, even though her parents And herself and her husband and other members of her family had built this amazing business sunshine educational tours they built it for the last 30 years they had tens of thousands of students going on their programs every year they did not relent they tried to keep food on the table of their employees as well as return some of the funds back to the students and the parents and eventually they had to pivot. And we're going to hear the story of what Karen did next here on episode 98 of the Agents of Innovation podcast. Karen today is now the founder and CEO of Key Innovative Solutions. We're going to learn how she got there and what she's doing now and what's coming forward for her plans. But first, I want to let let you know that, as I mentioned, Karen and her family started Sunshine Educational Tours they're based in Florida. You'd think that would be spelled S-U-N, sunshine, but it's actually spelled S-O-N, sunshine. So we'll hear more about that in a little bit. I just wanted you to get that spelling right as we go forward. Also, at the end of this episode, we're going to hear, I'm going to really confuse you now because we're going to hear a song called Sunshine, spelled S-U-N-S-H-I-N-E, by a band from California called The Brevet. Uh, You heard Eric Dam from The Brevet on this podcast in early 2020, just as all the stuff was hitting the fan. See what I did there? Uh, And so we had uh, Eric on then, and I love The Brevet. They're amazing. They're back on tour now. I'm hoping I can catch them somewhere. They've been all over the country, uh, coming out of Southern California. And you know they had an album to release in early 2020, and they've released some singles along the way. Uh, But of course, they had to pivot as well. So entrepreneurship involves a lot of pivoting. You don't know. Your business could be going great. You could have all the clients lined up, all the contracts lined up, just like Karen Hoffman and her family did with Sunshine Educational Tours. And who the heck could see a pandemic that shuts down both elements of your business, schools and travel? Uh, Unbelievable. So you got to pivot. And, uh, and that's what we're going to hear. We're going to hear about a lot of pivoting uh, going on and how you do that and how you just continue to have that upbeat, positive entrepreneurial mindset. You're going to succeed no matter what. There's a lot of opportunities still out there in the world, despite the fact that you know, a crazy pandemic took many of them away. And for those of you who are new here, my name is Francisco Gonzalez, and I am the host of the Agents of Innovation podcast. As I mentioned, we are on episode 98. I've been doing this for over six years, and today I am also the founder and CEO of Fearless Journeys. It is a community for aspiring and ascending entrepreneurs, as well as travel enthusiasts, and you can find all the information about that community at fearlessjourneys.org and also visit the Agents of Innovation uh, website at agentsofinnovation.org. I also want to say thank you so much to my friend Dan Lesniak and his wife, Carrie Scholl. Uh, Dan is a sponsor uh, of the Fearless Journeys community, uh, which the Agents of Innovation podcast is a part of. Uh, The Fearless Journeys community is a community I have now built uh, to help you connect with all these amazing entrepreneurs that I've had on this podcast and many others as well, as well as others in the community of Fearless Journeys that join. We have monthly group coaching sessions. We have a book of the month club where I send out book club summaries every week, help you keep pace with the books we're reading. We've read some amazing ones this year, like The Alchemist and Atomic Habits and Start With Why. Uh, We're currently reading Give Smart, uh, how uh, you know you can be a better uh, philanthropist, and coming up soon, we'll be uh, reading a, a book by Scott Adams called Win Bigly. Uh, he's the creator of Dilbert, as you know, and it's about how persuasion. Uh, you know how you can be better at persuasion in a world where facts sometimes don't matter. So a lot of cool, exciting stuff. And one of the uh, basically close to fifty innovators I have in this community is Dan Lesniak. Dan was on my podcast way back, episode four, and I believe it was also episode 25. And he and his wife, Carrie Schull, have built the number one selling real estate team in the DMV, that's the District of Columbia, Maryland, and Virginia area, helping over 1,000 buyers and sellers each year. Uh, Dan is also a best selling real estate author and co founder of the Hyperfast Agent podcast and coaching program. And in his latest venture, Dan has raised nearly $15 million in equity from investors. To acquire and develop over 200 condo units in Washington, D.C. We're very grateful that Dan is not only one of the nearly 50 featured innovators in the Fearless Journeys community that you can connect with, but uh, he's also chosen to invest in Fearless Journeys as a sponsor of our community. So I just wanted to say thank you, Dan Lesniak. Please uh, connect with him, especially if you're interested in real estate or investing in real estate. And I mean, isn't that part of the American dream right there? So, we have a great conversation coming up here with karen hoffman and don't forget at the end of this episode we're going to play that song by the brevet called sunshine and so uh you know what when you are faced with a lot of darkness a lot of doubt and a lot of despair one thing you always need to know is that that sun is going to be rising every day and you know what if you want to see it rise in Guatemala, I've got a group trip coming up there through the Fearless Journeys community, April 2nd through the 9th, 2022. And we just ran our first group trip in Guatemala, had six amazing travel uh, buddies that came along for the ride. And it was an amazing itinerary. I think all of them will tell you that. And I'm, I'm actually... Uh, ready to move on and do trips in other places as well, but they said Francisco, you got to do, you got to bring more people to Guatemala. This was just amazing. Lake Atitlan, Antigua, uh, Guatemala City, connecting with entrepreneurs all over that country. It is a country on the rise. Dan Weinberg, who has traveled to over forty countries, you heard him here, um, I believe on episode ninety-one of the Agents of Innovation podcast. He said Central uh, Guatemala is the future of Central America. The entrepreneurial mindset. Is thriving here, and uh, he's inspired so much that he's actually done a long-term stay in Guatemala after uh, our, our group trip. So he's there for about another month at least. So uh, anyway, so it's 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 amazing, and I want to take you there, and I want to help you see the sunshine in Guatemala. But no matter where you are in the world, the sun will always shine on the next day, and that means there's a lot of opportunities. So no matter where you're at, you could always pivot, and we're going to hear the story of Karen Hoffman and her journey and where she's at. So thank you so much for listening to the Agents of Innovation podcast. Here we go. Okay, well, I wanna welcome my friend Karen Hoffman to episode 98 of the Agents of Innovation podcast. Karen is the founder and CEO of Key Innovative Solutions. Karen, welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast.
1: Francesca, thanks so much for having me. I mean, you just are continuing to do amazing things, not only here in in the United States, but around the world. So just to be a part of this is a real honor for me. Well,
0: thank you, Karen. Uh, Yes, I'm on my little break here. Uh, Well, I thought it was just gonna be, I thought this was gonna be the end of my year uh, after finishing a year in, almost a year in Guatemala. And it's been a wonderful experience. So I'm here down in South Florida uh, but I'm actually going to go back to Guatemala for a month in the beginning of 2022. And also, I'm going to run the first, the, actually, the second Fearless Journeys group trip back to Guatemala. We did the first one. That's why I almost said first, because I've been saying first for so long now, um, in, in mid-November. And we had a fantastic time. And I'm going to have to get you to come down to Guatemala sometime. But, um, Karen, uh, I'm here in Broward County, or not, actually just north of Broward County. We're in Boca Raton. First of all, I want to give a a very um, nice thank you to Bob Rubin, Rubin Wealth Advisors. Uh, we're in his office. Um, I forget the episode number I should have had it handy, but Bob was on a previous episode of the Agents of Innovation podcast. He's also joined the Fearless Journeys community as a featured innovator. Um, so thank you so much uh, to Bob. And we're here, uh, Karen, so in Boca Raton, right down the street from my alma mater, Florida Atlantic University. And, but you, you, where, were you where were you born and raised, Karen?
1: Well, born in Chicago until I was seven, but actually right down the street, I went to Addison Meisner Elementary. Wow. In Boca Middle. So like this is home base for me as well.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Isn't that crazy? And uh I'm I'm kind of uh, it, it, I'm kinda of homeless right now in, in some ways, but I'm staying with my parents in Boynton Beach. But uh but yeah, like I said, I went to college right down the street here in, in Boca. And um and now, Karen, you're you, you you basically I know that when I knew you you were living in Broward County for a while. And now you're in Tampa. Correct. Yeah, so I just am lucky that I caught you here uh, on a on a weekend. Uh, here yeah, we had a great South reunion
1: Florida. of friends uh, here in South Florida and Fort Lauderdale this weekend, so it was perfect. I was like, oh, we're trying to even get you in, but I know your schedule's crazy too. So it, yeah, but- I said
0: I'm going to have to set up for this podcast. So if I if I go over to Flip Flops down in Fort Lauderdale and toss back a drink or two it might not work out so well for
1: me no not before this but yeah after definitely (laughs) maybe after
0: maybe get a cigar after here um well um karen uh you know so you're the founder and ceo of key innovative solutions but let's go back to the beginning of karen hoffman's journey uh other than going to boca middle and all these places uh what was your first job in life, and, and uh, what did you learn from it? And maybe there's something that still impacts you today from it.
1: Uh, a great question. My first job, cashier at Publix, a great Florida-based uh, grocery store. And so as a cashier, you went in there, and it. Um, I worked probably – I was during high school, so I was 16 when I was working there. Uh, I loved it for a period of time. But, you know, what I loved is that, you know, you're just connecting with each one of these – customers with their stuff so you just try to make a connection with them and i think that's probably what is carried through from that is connecting with each person uh just a little bit about make a little brief conversation because that made it a big difference for me but i know it probably enhanced them as well but that was a great time i would i would say
0: yeah no you get that's that's great i mean uh that's a great type of job where you get to meet a lot of people uh, all the time deal with lots of personalities i'm sure um lucky you're not working there during the pandemic times but uh yeah yeah no <laughs> yeah. but uh obviously uh shout out to Publix my my favorite the best supermarket in the world I tell people as far as Guatemala that Publix is the best
1: well not only is it a great starter in you know, a like your first job experience like it was for me but I can tell you countless of people that have fantastic careers within Publix as well yeah so I mean they treat their people right I mean it's always a first class no matter where you go that's consistent that the store is a solid run right it's organized well, so you know it just—it's—it uh, was a great experience, a good way to start. But I did like that um, professionalism. It's—it's it's hard to beat. In fact, I heard someone just yesterday it was so funny. They're like, um, they—one of the things that's a little tough on them to travel is to go. They find out that Publix is not everywhere, and they miss their Publix. Yeah. <laughs> How I often know. do you hear that? <laughs> oh, gosh,
0: it's probably about ten or twelve years ago now. I was in—I uh, was sort of on the outskirts of Nashville, Tennessee and I saw Publix and I said, oh my gosh, they're making their way north. I think they just might have opened one in Virginia. Anyway, Karen, we're gonna keep uh, moving forward here uh, with your journey. Uh, what was your educational background? Uh, did you go to college? What What did you study?
1: A few things, actually. So my first, uh, my first degree was in physical therapy. So I really enjoyed that. Worked in physical therapy for about uh, 10 years, physical therapist assistant. Uh, got my degree when I was 19 and just you know, hit the road with that. Then I went, I went back and finished my degree in Human Resource Management and Biblical Studies, Trinity International University, and just wanted to make sure that I had that uh, completed. So uh, there wasn't any obstacle, but I wanted it for myself. Yeah. So uh, that And that's based out of Deerfield, Illinois, but they had a campus in Miami, so I enjoyed doing that.
0: Oh, very nice. Okay, so uh, I know... You know there's probably a lot of things I can ask you about where you got started but I know one of the the last roles that I remember you in before you're doing this was uh, with Sunshine Educational Tours and at Sunshine S-O-N-S-H-I-N-E Sunshine Educational Tours first of all I want to hear about why is it that and not within you Uh, but 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 tell me uh, how that was this a family company um, what, I think it's a student travel uh, type of company. Can you give me a background about that and then, and then everything uh, that you were Muffin. involved with? Yeah.
1: Well, it's, a, it's a, actually a fantastic story because uh, my mom had always been in travel. So she, you know, travel agent. Uh, then my dad managed a law firm in Miami. When I was a teenager, right after Boca Middle, uh, they both felt called to go into the mission field. So we went mm. to Mexico City as oh. a family and we lived in a children's home with the salvation army. What,
0: how old were you then? 12, 13,
1: 14.
0: Wow, in Mexico City, that's right. I forget I forget this about your story, but it's very very key.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's a, it was actually a phenomenal experience as well because it really changed who I was uh, from that standpoint because you really have to be independent in a little bit in you know, a um Uh, how would I say, but specifically with my role within the the children's home as well, because I I had to wash all of our family's clothes by hand. And then I would also go to the market and get our food. I would take care of our family. I would cook all their meals because my parents were working like crazy, taking care of a hundred kids. So it's, it really changed the trajectory. It's like, not like I had chores, like this is essential. You do this. But besides that, then I would um, go to the American school uh and that was a, a fantastic experience also because for um, what I came from going there is like going to college. They had that kind of respect level for the students and the teachers slash professors, but you ha- you know, there's a lot more responsibility so it was not like you're going in there being herded, but uh really fantastic uh rapport within the classroom. But then I get on the bus, come back and then now to help take care of the little kids, take care of our homes. So it was um, being a student, almost being an adult, so it was very formative. So when we came back to the states, it took me a little while to get used to life as an American teenager again. Um, my mom, Those
0: lazy American teenagers.
1: <laughs> it was it was crazy, you know. It was like, and it just took me a little while to um, reconnect. I got involved in it as a, a teenager in Youth for Christ and uh, campus life and so i would i went to a bible study there and then would go to the meetings and then we would go on missions trips well then my spanish was very helpful on the missions trips ah so are
0: you, so re, were you and are you fluent in spanish
1: i can be better <laughs> well
0: we all can i mean i've been in guatemala almost all year and i can right. be a lot better yes it's like the more you know the
1: more you realize you don't know yeah does that make sense so i sound be... fantastic with somebody that doesn't know as much as Right?
0: Yeah, that's the way I am. If, if, when I meet somebody in Guatemala that doesn't know any English, my Spanish comes pouring out because it's like you're forced. Correct. To have to communicate. So you're, you find the words in your head and they, you know, they're not perfect, but you're communicating and they're trying their best to communicate with you. And they're so thrilled that
1: you know what you know. Yeah, yeah. So, and then where I, uh, have found it to be a little bit of an impediment is because I was a teenager when I was learning it. So there's cer- certain aspects of vocabulary I have not developed, like um, in the adult world. Business, for example. You know, So I can get along uh, for conversational, fantastic. Uh, just about four years ago, we went to Peru. Phenomenal, mm. so much fun. And uh, so that was great. Cuban Spanish, a lot more difficult or in the, Puerto Rico, the same thing. So it just depends. Colombian Spanish sounds like English to me, like with Mexico. So it just depends on the dialect as well. But- yeah.
0: So, you know, what's really interesting is your time abroad. First of all, it was as a, as, as a child, you know, a young teenager, basically. But you know, one thing I have found with a lot of entrepreneurs is first of all, one of the most important characteristics of an entrepreneur is thinking outside the box, expanding your horizons, you know, uh, the world isn't just your neighborhood, it isn't just your city, it's a, it's a lot bigger place. And so getting out of that box and exploring it, and a lot of entrepreneurs have actually spent time traveling, whether it's across the country or abroad and things like that. So I think there's there's a key component there. And I think it's really great you got to do that while you were young, and also that you had those job. I mean, so you talked about Publix at 16, but Karen, really, your first job was before Publix. It was all the things you were doing in Mexico.
1: I worked hard when you're talking, but there's no paycheck involved. So that's why I think I like from that standpoint, it it was great. It really was. um, So we come back to the States. And so my mom uh, had a passion for education with all these kids. So she wanted to go back to school to get her degree in education, actually uh, graduated from Florida Atlantic University. Your mom or? My mom. Wow. Yeah. Got her degree in education from that. While she's getting her degree, of course, there's conversations that are taking place while you're studying. Like, so what are you doing now while you're here? And with a, it's like, oh, I'm a travel agent. So there was someone that was getting their degree also in education said, listen, our school's going on a field trip to St. Augustine. Why don't you put together a proposal? So she's like, oh, all right. So she put together a proposal of the components and she's got this. And sure enough, she got the proposal. She got the bid. And so it started with one school. So mm-hmm. then um, she continued that. It was like a perfect blend of bringing in education and travel together and so the f- company continued to form and build and then I came in uh, my husband was a minister and we had a church in Arkansas we came back from Arkansas and so I came in to help her out one day and this is good because it was not a conversation of like you need to come into the family business yeah. but it was more I came in to help her out one day and then stayed for years wow. and so helping her develop and grow that as well so Were the,
0: you what was this like what in your 20s or something?
1: yeah it was um yes yeah it was like yeah and then with that uh you know again we're just my and then my husband came in and then we just continued to grow and expand and serving so many school districts day by palm beach county all over florida all, all over the nation so, so
0: let's uh let's go to, i'm gonna go pre-pandemic and we'll come back to crazy pandemic here but pre-pandemic at the height of sunshine educational tours um do you have any numbers you could rattle off to us in terms of Numbers of schools or numbers of students or things like that or how many or where you were going on these trips?
1: Sure. Like, uh, let's say with, let's say with, um, we'd send at least one city alone to Washington, D.C., like 10,000 students a year just for one city alone. Just one city. And then we would serve Orlando, St. Augustine, you know, Florida tours. Uh, Boston, Philadelphia, New York, Chicago. So it gives you an idea. Now DC, that was a big deal as well because you're giving the, you know the nation's capital. but at the size and scope of our company, a ton of fantastic tour guides. so it was really uh, quite enjoyable. So that really actually with as you're dealing with educators every day, all day, this is where my really immersion into education developed because you're developing fantastic uh, curriculum for these students on the road and then working with teachers, but then you started to hear some of the struggles that teachers were having, and a lot of them didn't have a voice. Mm. So through that, that's when we developed uh, the very first State Trade Association for Student Tour Operators, and that was a Florida Association Student Educational Tour, still operational.
0: Yeah, so um, tell me a little bit about, so yeah, so you you formed that because there were all these student travel company type tour operators that didn't have as much of a voice. So they wanted to gather, get, you know, it's really interesting because, you know, I spent a little time in Tallahassee of course, uh, working for a policy organization, but, um, we enjoyed these, seeing you while we're up there. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. And we'll get to that in a bit, but the, the trade associations, they're in all sorts of industries. So tell me what is, what is some of the benefits that it brought t- to the student travel industry? And, uh, and maybe some of the accomplishments you all had during that time. Yeah, that's a great and tell question. tell me your role in that, too.
1: Well, in forming it, then the first group that's together in that formation, which is really, it was neat to be in the beginning of this. Yeah. Because, and part of that process, it's in, in that very first meeting, then they elected me president. And then we, you know, with our board subsequently, and then growing the membership. And uh, just a fantastic group. And specifically that were competitors And yet, we're on the same side. Mm -hmm. And so, it really, the decorum and respect for each other is critical. And so, you're not encroaching on each other's territory. You respect each other, but also, you're becoming better. So, one of the challenges was uh, throughout the um, districts, every district had a different process to be an approved vendor. Well, that can be burdensome. And so, we worked with... uh, Department of Education and also Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Um, what we did is we came up with one unified list, that of the ones that met this criteria for, um, they were secure. They had the met all the compliance issues that were necessary by these RFPs references. Yeah. And so we had this list, and then we got that list posted on the website for the Department of Education. So that way, school districts could actually refer to that one list. We're preserving. Um, precious resources within the district so they didn't have to go through the burdensome RFP. And so we did that within six months of our formation. Not often do you get passage of legislation six months after you formed. So we were um, uh, one of our Uh, our chief lobbyist that really guided us through that was uh, T.C. Wolf and now he's a federal lobbyist but you know it's through that process though we're talking to these different legislators and meeting with them and it was really neat to see because they heard that we wanted to make things easier for educators and these legislators consistently lean forward. Hmm. How can we help make that happen? So it really shows their heart for educators and you know wanted to make sure that they are being served well so that was it was great and still forming or still moving forward to this day
0: yeah and you know not to get too political or anything but the uh, you know even being in Tallahassee I noticed things get done a lot faster in a state capital than they do in the nation's capital I mean obviously you don't have 50 states worth of people you know all sorts of legislators a lot more interest in groups and things like that competing but on a state level it's a little bit closer to the people, and obviously these legislators seem like they uh, really cared about some of the issues you were presenting. And knowing you, Karen, I know you probably present the issues very well to them <laughs> so they can make it make them uh, understand it uh, very well. Speaking of that, uh, a little bit aside from your uh, job, you've been involved with some different grassroots policy movements. And um, tell me a little bit about that journey of getting involved with that Uh, and then how, you know, how that kind of led you to some of the things you're doing today as well.
1: Well, it was, uh, that is, you're right, it was on the side totally. Uh, And just really, um, one of the things I've really valued and that I've learned through this process, like the teachers that we listen to, that they really want to be heard, student tour operators, student travel industry, they want to be heard and have a voice. People want to be heard, and I think that is a real frustration and sometimes it's an impediment but sometimes that's where the um emotions come from is when people feel like they're not being heard yeah so when you're providing a platform for those voices to be heard it's uh it's very refreshing and then there's when it first occurs for example um, with this we would gather them together how to be more effective in communicating so if you're going to speak to a legislator let's be effective in that conversation like in relationship building. Like if you're meeting during session, it doesn't necessarily mean that's the best time to talk to them. But meet with them in their district. How do you approach them? How do you go to their office? How do you meet with the, their chiefs? How do you, um, their staff and the value there? And it's, it is relationship building. And that, I, to this day, is so critical. And you can see people that have a good heart. They have a good issue that needs to be dealt with, but it can be missed in how it's delivered.
0: Yeah, and then there's the process, right? Because it's if you're coming to them during session for the first time, uh, you know bills are already moving through committees. They're already they've already got priorities, so you want to get to them earlier and then also lay the groundwork, like you said, build a relationship. So it's not just like who are you showing up here, you know, in Tallahassee, right? And that's a heck of a long way to go for most Floridians too. So right. you don't want to waste your time.
1: Yeah, you don't want to waste their time either. Yeah, because they're like. Like I wish I could help you. I can't do anything now. Like bills are filed, we're done. You know, like mm-hmm. we can't even do an amendment. And but there's not enough information for that. So sometimes, it's, if that's the first time you have the conversation, that's great. But you can't expect much until you form into the um, next legislative session. So that was really uh, great. The other part, though, too, is that the strength of the voice is the more people that are having that consistent mm-hmm. voice. So it's coalition building. How do you um, build a surround sound? And it was—it's uh, really neat to see the the effectiveness of that, and when it's an enjoyable conversation. Yeah. Uh, and so the, we've really moved quite a bit going through that process with grassroots um, advocacy, and then uh, moving forward. So taking those talents was important in the um, when we formed our state trade association, because then we're hearing frustration from educators again because they don't have a a platform for that voice. So we had um, one of the key champions, uh, Senator Renee Garcia. He, after we got the passage of that legislation in the first six months, he reached out to us and goes, listen, you're in conversation with educators, correct? And we're like, yep, that's, you got it. That's, uh," he goes, at that point, he was on the education committee. And this says a lot about someone. He wasn't even the chair of the education committee. He was on it, and he goes, "You know, we're only hearing from angry grandparents and testing companies." And it was like, but no educators because they're teaching. They cannot get mm. up to Tallahassee. So he asked if we would actually put together a task force to provide an opportunity for him to have direct um, dialogue him and then other uh, with, for him and then other legislators, superintendents, school board members, career tech education directors. Uh, education uh, our educators on it was awesome so we uh, first uh, task force that we had everybody's trying to um they dip their toe in the water okay we're going to go to this task force is this going to be a meeting about a meeting yeah or what's going to be uh coming out of this and at first it was cathartic people are sharing their frustration and we had you know like i guess had superintendents there as well and then after a bit of time of that um, catharsis that's necessary and they just need to get off their chest then like let's get into this innovative solutions one of it tackling assessments and um, so we worked to see if we can reduce redundant testing you know assessments are fantastic but let's not overdo it and then uh, free that up and we ha- got the successful passage of a removal of some redundant testing as well that's but, good yeah, yeah so it and that's what
0: so um, you're you're not just operating in the kind of student tour area, but just in education more generally.
1: Correct. Yeah. So we really got into you know providing that platform, that uh, that may have not existed, mm-hmm. or it's I, not, that wouldn't be the correct way to put it. It would be more like this is outside the box. Yeah. It's you know from that standpoint, and because of that, it was unsuspecting. So it became quicker to get that communication there. You're not going through channels of, you know, this formality, this formality. But we were able to do it quicker. Then on top of that, we were able to talk to these districts around this state and with their lobbyists. And so we're speaking in unison about these issues. And then because of those relationships, we were able to get that passage. But every one of our task forces, we had legislators there. So it was was fantastic. And yeah. continues to be so. And by the
0: way, just another example of a uh, characteristic of entrepreneurs, problem solving, right? So that thinking outside the box, but in a way that you're trying to solve, bring a solution to the table, which is why legislators need entrepreneurs. Absolutely. Right? I mean, because they need trade associations, they need businesses, they need people that problem solve every day to run their businesses and, and to get things done in their community. Um, and legislators, you know, some of them are business people themselves, but they're also, you know, not. <laughs> and, and they're they're more involved in government and things like that. Uh, so it's it's really nice when they can hear from entrepreneurs because you even you just might um, have another thing that you think of, right? Another way you problem solve. And also government's done differently. And so an <laughs> entrepreneur so li- <laughs> brings solutions that maybe sometimes can't be done by government. Uh, or in the or in the ways that maybe we would like ideally, but at least where you could put multiple heads together. Collaboration, what I teach my students in, a, in my innovation Essential. classes you need collaboration to, to innovate. Uh, and so it's nice to have the different voices as well. Um, so Karen, uh, all of these things you've been involved with, I met you through some of your policy advocacy uh, in Tallahassee and I, I honestly can't place, in my mind where where exactly we met I don't know if we met in Tallahassee or Broward County or somewhere around the state but I saw you in a lot of places and we have a lot of mutual friends especially now and so you're everywhere in fact one of our mutual friends Tom Gaytons, uh, I was at an event last night in Palm Beach and you know I Love just Tom. got back from Guatemala a week ago right and so he he comments on my Facebook you know he loves commenting on my Facebook <laughs> this way he says uh oh, this is another uh, episode in the Where in, Where in the World is Francisco Today? And I said, well, you're going to be really jealous, Tom, when you know you don't even know who I'm going to be with later today. And thats yeah, I didn't tell him who it was, but we're going to post a picture on Facebook later, and uh, Tom will get super jealous because I know you're one of his favorite people too. Oh, love Tom.
1: <laughs> and, you know, evidence about Tom too is through a lot of this, he has been a fantastic leader, but shepherd. There was, you know, and he was a, a, also in that um, advocacy mm-hmm. time period with grassroots. He would like speak reason, like let's not get emotional. How do we <laughs> yeah. do this with rationale? How do we do this in presenting it in a way that's effective? And that's I love about his heart, but just always so he spoke into uh, any several meetings with that, and, uh, yeah. and just a, a great uh, gift. Cause not everybody can they can feel it or they can, sh- you know think it in their mind but he really wanted to equip people to be more effective also um, yeah another
0: but, shout out to tom gatens um when i was moving to tallahassee to work for the james madison student in 2008 our mutual friend brendan steinhauser who i think yes. you friends with too uh, yes you know he said francisco i'm going to connect you with this guy tom gatens He's going to be, and little did I know who this guy was going to turn out to be, but yeah, he was fantastic. And he was way ahead of the game on the grassroots because when I got there in 2008, it was like five, 10 people would show up these little grassroots things. And then, as we know, as things got uh, more the momentum uh, built more momentum a couple, in the next couple of years, you know thousands of people were showing up to things so uh, Tom was at the very beginning of that and and Brendan saw that, and by the way, Brendan and his wife Randon were on this podcast way back like four or five years ago, somewhere in the episode 20 ish range uh, well, to talk about their po- their Steinhauser strategies, which they do a lot of policy advocacy too
1: yeah, just also another great mind involved in this and wanting to make people more effective, yeah. And uh, so um, Tom and I, in Florida, what we enjoy doing is gathering leaders from around the state. So let's, and how to equip these leaders that are going back to their groups. Uh, Just, it it was just a great experience, but leading, moving forward is like, again, you can have great ideas by yourself, but then to what end? Right. But the, you know, you're known by- Gotta
0: collaborate. Gotta collaborate. Collaboration
1: is essential, it is.
0: Yeah. So Karen, let's go back to your company now. Sunshine Educational Tours, you mentioned all those great numbers, all the tens of thousands of students you were bringing to great places like Washington, D.C. and St. Augustine and New York and Boston and all these places. Also, I love it because I'm a history uh, guy. I was a history major, and and, and I just think it's so important to see historic places. It really makes it come alive, even when you see reenactments and things, but when you get to go I just love, you know, going to Philadelphia and going right through Independence Hall, like this is where the Declaration of Independence was signed. This is where they gathered. This is where they could have been hung if, you know, if they got caught, right? So, um, but this is where it happened. And, and it, I just always feel like I want to be in those places, right? Um, just like probably you and I mean, we've both been to Machu Picchu, right? Just to be there and be like, first of all, it's an amazingly awesome looking place, but just to see, to know that the history that was there, but...
1: Well, be very good. Like, let's say... This is that iconic picture in Machu Picchu. Yeah. Right? And you have to go to that one spot. Do you remember you yes, have to hike yes, up to that yeah. one spot almost like you had to stand in line, like you're gonna go see Mickey? Yeah. Right to get your, you have to go stand for that one picture. And when you take the picture of that iconic view of Machu Picchu, it does not even do justice no. to the magnitude of Machu Picchu, yeah. right? So like you could say like, Oh yeah, I've seen the picture. I'm like, No, you really haven't seen it at all. So those experiences
0: so for my dad, who's definitely going to listen to this episode, <laughs> I because he's like, "Why do you want to go all the, all around the world? You know, can't you just turn on the TV and see?" And I said to him one time because I said, "Dad, you've been to Rome, you've stood in the Sistine Chapel. Now can, let me tell you, let me ask you, could you imagine that on TV compared to what it was actually like being in the Sistine Chapel?" And he was like, "No." So I was like, okay, I think I win the argument.
1: <laughs> you do, and with uh, I'm an only child of two only children. Now you would think that'd be the recipe for being spoiled. Well, clearly I told you about my experiences in Mexico, which was not the definition of a spoiled child. So you go forward and you're like, uh, um, my parents were never uh, about spoiling me, but travel was a big part. But even on traveling, I was even a, on a trip, I was allowed one souvenir. And in the end of the day, that was wisdom, too, because you know how many of those souvenirs I have from my childhood? Zero. But the memories, what do I have? So we, when we t- with these students, that's what we're passionate about, the travel. So I liken people as being like a, almost like a board, a pegboard on a slant. Mm-hmm. And every experience that they have is another peg that goes in that pegboard. When you have this pegboard set up with a ton of hooks, any bit of information can hook onto that. You have some place to hold or st- hold that content, but if you don't have those experiences, or if you're sitting on your couch and saying like, "Oh yeah, I know this," <laughs> it's like a pegboard without any pegs, and so information comes, but it just slides right off. Yeah, is you know.
0: And you know, travel. You know, for for uh, for the other side of the argument, maybe my dad's argument. I'm just going to throw it out there. You know, um, it's not. It's not. Sometimes it's not easy. Right? You got to go through airports, and you got to. You know, there's, 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 I, you know, people see maybe my photos of posting all these great places that I've gone, but you know, there's a lot of time spent on trains or buses or planes or delayed flights and all, you know, all sorts of things, and that's the thing that I think gets to people when you travel. It's such a hassle. Why not just watch a TV show or something, right? But, but what, but you know, part of the part of life is the journey. Correct. And uh, we're all we're all on a journey, but also travel itself is obviously a journey. Uh, but, but speaking of that, there's all sorts of awesome parts of travel. And that was all taken away from us in 2020. Mm. Um, And your uh, organization, Sunshine Educational Tours, uh, travel was stopped by force of government by a lot of ways, but also, you know, just people trying to be safe. Uh, And then secondly, schools were shut down. And then of course, school trips were definitely shut down. And that's your whole business model. So T- walk us through the steps, like I don't know what day it was, or like the next uh, week and the next month, and all the things you had to deal with, um, and and like, can you walk us through like the the sort of that thought process, uh, sort of maybe week by week or something, and how how it continued to change.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm sorry sure. if it
0: if it gives you any post traumatic stress <laughs> uh, ahead of time. There's, you
1: know, it does in a way, uh, but there's there's no guarantee. Okay. Going to being an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. what is, what is incorporated in that is risk. You're not guaranteed anything, right? Nothing is guaranteed. Nobody guaranteed. Cause
0: cause to, to pause there, you were a very successful company. How long had you been around at that point in 2020? Over 30 years, over 30, very successful. All these contracts with all these schools, Our uh, success rate, everybody's coming in. How many employees did you have?
1: Well, we had seven in house and yeah. then we had probably 40 tour guides Yeah, and it's interesting because it got Not to, to mention
0: the, all the, the trickle effect that uh, people you're employing throughout the travel industry, through correct. your tickets and everything. Oh, they're
1: counting on the like, yeah. Hey, you know, yeah. they're counting on you come in and, or, you know, just depending on that. Yeah, it was, it was big. And then I'm sorry that I take a deep breath, but it, yeah. it was like, well, all right. We, um, but again, you have to go back to the point that there's no guarantees. So there, that's kind of what you sign up for and that's anything you can have a government job doesn't mean you're guaranteed to have it so that's and then what is it's going to test your resiliency and uh of what that's about but it was interesting so that first two weeks when everybody was in lockdown all right it's going to be two weeks just to slow it down pump the brakes on COVID. correct yeah it was all right we could do two weeks and then in my mind at that point you know you're um you're hoping that all right we could still do the trips that are in may that would work, right? And it's like, if so this, this is in March, March and you're looking at May. Yeah. So we shut down and then we get back and all right. So, okay. Let's say the any of the trips that go on after spring break, we're good. We're going to be mm-hmm. able to handle those. Well, the two weeks did not become two weeks. And then it became very clear soon that they're not going back to school. So then what happened is that this is uh, a crazy business model. Let's keep paying our staff. They can't stay home. We had to bring our staff in is essential because hundreds of thousands of dollars was out to all of our vendors. Airlines, buses, hotels, restaurants, attractions. So now what we had to do is pay our staff to try to get this money back from mm. the, all of these vendors and speed it up because we needed to get it back to the schools so they could give it back to their parents.
0: Yeah, so this, the parents paid the money had already paid money for trips that they weren't going to be going on it's it's that's an interest that's a crazy business I mean it's it's a
1: so I'm paying for no money Yeah. did you to,
0: have to give that money back like I mean
1: that's a great question too because there's um, some tour companies not a lot but the and they ended up in the news in fact because they would in the contracted in the contracts that everybody has there's no line that said that they had to give money back because you're under the 30 days or whatever. Yeah. But this is extenuating circumstances. Mm-hmm. We're in a pandemic. And that, that's not the parents' fault. It's not the school's fault. It's not our fault. But in the same sense, too, it's like do what is right because parents now, were they're losing their jobs. They're getting laid off, right? So right. it's if you don't have a heart you know, to have fun enjoying that money that you're going to keep. So we would go back. Then we got to the point that some of them are real slow. Some of the airlines didn't re- refund money. Oh, we'll give you a credit. Well, they can't eat a credit. Right. So what we did is then we took money from us to get, make sure that a hundred percent of the money that was paid to us by these parents got it and I am so proud of us for doing that not every company did they do what they choose but
0: uh yeah well i think it's a testament to uh, a good business practice that you know a good ethics that you employ probably goes back to some of your personal foundations your moral foundations uh, which i think is so important to bring to business just a few episodes back i had a really great gentleman on michael eisenberg he's a venture capitalist in uh israel he was born in New York, but moved there 25, 30 years ago.
1: Fantastic podcast. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Uh, uh, but he had a, gr- the, he has a new book out called, uh, tree of life and prosperity, 21st century business principles from the book of Genesis. Mm. It's really cool. Like uh, I want to yeah, read that. So people should go back and listen to that episode. I think it was episode 96, I think. Yes. Um, all these things get jumbled in my brain, but cause we're on 98 now. Uh, but anyway, um the yeah but you know one of the biggest things in there is you know talking about ethics in business and I mean it just goes to show and just economic practices uh, because that's what you know that's in a lot of ways what's missing it's also why a lot of people who are critics of capitalism uh, they what they're really criticizing is crony capitalism or some kind of uh, other area that they think is capitalism but actually Good solid capitalism, it's 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 free trade, it's make you know, making sure that you're benefiting and I'm benefiting, right? So there's a lot of things. But going back to your example here, is that that's also I think a healthy business a practice for your business because if you didn't give that money back, you're you're just like thinking about right now, like, well, we gotta survive and we gotta get everybody well, all of a sudden in, in you know, a year when travel's back or whenever it's totally back. They're gonna be well. We ain't going with that company because they screwed us over last time, right? So, so you're, I think, also by practicing good morality and ethics in your business practices, it will be healthier for your business in the long term. May not be this month or next month, and but I think if you're thinking about the future as well, that's that's probably great. Also, let me ask you because I know you and I share very very similar philosophy towards very limited government. We're not for subsidies for the most part. Correct. We're not for all these things. But COVID was a very, you know, the government literally forced you to close your business. Um, they cl- they forced travel to stop. They forced edu- schools to shop. And so there was uh, opportunities. Tell me how, did, did government work for you? And, and, and did you partake in, in help in getting some of those <laughs> funds that they were? Tell me, I mean, that's a crazy process because every, I know you were telling me about Yes, being up at late at night to get on the system to try to get access. So tell me a little bit oh, about yeah. and then that And like process. The bank would
1: actually keep you from doing it because yeah. you had no debt. Yeah. So we were penalized as a company for a delay getting in because we had no debt. So delay
0: getting in, tell me what were you getting in? The PPP t- loan. Yeah, the PPP.
1: Yeah. So the bank, it was not Small Business Administration. It was the bank that was prohibiting us from applying for a few days because we had no debt. Yeah, they were taking care of those that had debt with a bank mm. first.
0: So by being a good debt-free business, you were being penalized. Correct.
1: Okay. That, that was an irritant. Like I would I think,
0: I would rather loan to somebody that doesn't have debt because it sounds like they're going to pay it off.
1: Correct. You would <laughs> think. You would think yeah. it was almost like they want that money to come in and you know. To, so, the other part though too is yeah. So the, I'll tell you this, and you understand. We're you're right. We're both on the same wavelength as far as limited government. One of it that it was so, I would almost say angering when you're going through this process. I have never needed to do this, but because of government policy, it's forcing me to depend on the government. Yeah. That is, uh, I, that bothered me significantly because I was like, this is not a bad business decision that we made. And so we only went for one of the one PPP and we're like, you know, we're. And um, that
0: was to keep paying your employees
1: yeah and that, but it was only two months yeah. and so we still needed to go beyond that and then you're not sure how long this is going to go and our employees some of them had been with us for over 20 years wow so you don't really get to the point saying you know what it's been great thanks it was a nice ride <laughs> see you later Bye. um so we really held on to them as long as possible uh from the time to do the right thing and then on top of that then we even gave them severance
0: Wow, that's amazing.
1: Yeah, because it's, the, you know, these are phenomenal people. The reason why our company is so great is because they're so great. And so that was the other part, too, is like valuing their...
0: Did Sunshine Educational Tours survive? Is uh, it still That's going? a great
1: question. So with Sunshine, uh, going through this, there's a lot more risk. So then as an entrepreneur, you evaluate what to do, and there's... Um, we actually used the opportunity to actually refer our business to another tour company that we have a strong partnership with. And then it gave the opportunity for me to pivot, and that's what we did as a family. And so, you know, my mom retired, and as a family company, so there was – it's almost like it, it provided a platform for us to move forward to the next level of what we needed to do in education and industry.
0: So right now, if someone was looking up Sunshine Educational Tours, you're more just uh, saying, hey, we – we're not doing this anymore. We're referring it Correct. to this business. Correct. Do you do you think it'll ever come back?
1: Now the student travel industry is, and that's why I'm still involved in Facet. Okay. And it's growing. And, no, and so there's a um, like a sigh of relief, um, but there's always something on the horizon that sometimes makes them wonder. Like, uh, but they have that flexibility. So it's it's um, it's gaining momentum. People are booking trips. Students are going on trips. They're, you know, enjoying it, which actually is, is so imperative. It is so necessary, too, because how many students that are, would never have the experience to travel if it weren't for these field trips? Yeah, exactly. You, you see that. So, again, going back to the pegboard illustration, these students uh, are now having, still have no opportunities for the experiences to actually hold on to information. Uh, you know, it's it's just great. We, um, In fact, one of the D.C. trips, it was so uh, cute. There's a student that was on there, kept the tour guide, was my husband, and kept asking my husband, said, "Um, are we going to go by Iwo Jima? Are we going to Iwo Jima? Like, you know, kept having these little side conversations with him. Well, Greg talked to one of the the lead teacher and he said, listen, it's not on our itinerary, but I really want to make this happen. And so because the student said that he had done a report and he was Mm. uh, about this and he was really interested. So they worked it in, they got them to Iwo Jima. And so what my husband did, he goes, here's a fifth grader. Why did you tell us about Iwo Jima? And so then he could just fill in the gaps with what he needed. So here this student was like, I know that to this day he will never forget that experiences that he was able to share about that you can't get that in a just in a textbook. So that's why right. it's so imperative for that to continue. So Sunshine has gone into referral and then that's a lot, uh, afforded the opportunity to go into key innovative solutions.
0: Yeah, so another thing a lot of entrepreneurs do is pivot hmm. considering circumstances. So you mentioned that word pivot. Um, so what? tell us the steps uh, that you took to do what you're doing now and and give us the broad scope of everything going on with Karen Hoffman <laughs> 2021.
1: Yeah, that's right. Right. This is, oh, it's, I love how you named And I, This is what I, I've termed you, how I explain, <laughs> remember, I, I share this with you. I said, I have to fight the fearless journeys is an entrepreneurial think tank. Oh, yes. It's like you. What you've done is you've you've really created a fantastic think tank, uh, you know, with entrepreneurs. I really appreciate that. I
0: like that you dubbed it that because I don't always use that term, but sometimes I do now because of you, because mm. you said that. And um, we have about fifty um, featured innovators in the community, and you know they're doing their own job. Bob Rubin, right? Rubin Wealth Advisors, right? But I just ask all the featured innovators to do one thing for me each year. And that's mostly to run a group coaching session for people who pay into the community that are members, um, and then also we have a book of the month club. So we're reading different books. We've read The Alchemist and Start with Why and Atomic Habits. A lot of great books so far. And then I have and you a featured- are a
1: fantastic reader too. Thank <laughs> yeah. That's
0: and so a great uh, trait. we have a, a featured innovator come on every month onto a virtual live event on Zoom uh, to lead us through that conversation. And every week I'm putting out book club like. Book summaries for each book, um, and so yes, one of the things you know I've noticed in a lot of interviews I've had, a lot of times spontaneously, is people mention books. Right? I was uh, I was just telling uh, someone yesterday, I had Madison Cawthorn on um, a year ago, and in the middle of the interview, he's talking about his life story, you know, recovering from a wheelchair accident, becoming paralyzed, all these things, and he's but he's also wanting to get into business and entrepreneurship. Well, he wrote a book called Success is Not an Accident, right? He literally got into an accident. But anyway, but he just like off the top of his head mentioned a book. And this seems to happen. So I started thinking, you know, maybe this community I like to read. I think reading is very formative. I like to travel. I think travel is very formative. I like to talk to entrepreneurs. So maybe we'll have books, travel, and entrepreneurs, right? So, But I think that, um, you know, so all these people like Bob Rubin, for example, I mean, he's got his own job, right? He, this is not a job for him. I'm not even paying him to do this. I just said, I just I will feature you as an innovator if you can do one thing for me. But also Bob goes above and beyond. Actually, he financially supports the community too, which is awesome. But we're sitting in his office right now because I was like, hey, I'm in Boca and I need an office. I, need, no, I don't need an office, but I need a place to do a podcast. You can use my office here. It's Sunday afternoon. Here's my card. Go use the office, right? So that's really great But um, that he's doing that. But he's also... Um, Getting on some of those Zoom calls, even the ones he's not um, being the featured innovator, and in, that may be one that he just wants to get on and listen to other people. Because I also think there's a lot of collaboration that can happen. But anyway, I think all those things. You're right in a way that uh, it could be an entrepreneurial think tank, um, and so it's not like a think tank where you're putting out policy ideas or policy research or for government officials or whatever. But you're putting it out for anybody. It could be a high school or college student that wants to learn from an entrepreneur or it could be somebody mid-career that wants to learn from an entrepreneur maybe i want to change what i'm doing right now and think about how these other people are doing things so that's great but um uh but back to you you're you, we've got uh you here pivoting to um what you're doing uh now and so tell me all the innovative things uh that you're doing
1: uh it i appreciate what you're sharing too because it's um it is important to actually, you know, pull these people together. You learn from people, you know, and that these conversations, you're not in a silo. People that are siloed are very are very limited. Uh, so really getting out there, I love that those experiences. So when this was happening, you start to evaluate, what, what do I have? You're doing inventory. And so part of that is that I have some great opportunities presented to me. Uh, I was appointed by the attorney general to the Florida commission on the status of women of which I'm chair uh, this year and elected chair by the commissioners, 22 commissioners. It's really neat um, to get onto the commission, to be appointed. You're appointed by either the governor, the cabinet speaker, of the house or the president of the Senate. So the caliber of women that are on this commission and sometimes through the history of the commission, this is our 30th year. uh, There's been few men also. Really? Yeah. And so it's, With this, you, um, it was, in fact, I did a panel with these uh, past commissioners from the very first commission 30 years ago, and I, who I am as a strong woman now, I'm benefiting from these strong, innovative women years back that have pushed the envelope on opportunities. Uh, I I have a great aunt. She was a missionary in India uh, for 42 years in education. I am, you know... Uh, who I am because of things that she has done and as a leader you know, in India. So you go forward, that has been a phenomenal opportunity. Also, back in, uh, I was appointed, a gu- I'm a gubernatorial appointee to the Southern Region Education Board, which is over 16 states. It's a compact of the 16 states. And each governor then appoints four people per state Two are educator and education leaders in education, and two are in the space are in the are legislators in the state. because you are importing, exporting education policy, what works, um, what's best practices, and it's really been phenomenal. So me in the space of education was appointed by our governor. Well, that has uh, been a great opportunity not just to know all the great op- the education policies that we have here in Florida, but what is working throughout the nation. For example, um, Colorado is fantastic with industry-sector partnerships. How to bring in education and put them at the helm of the conversation of, uh, with education. How can they speak into it as opposed to just reacting to what education produces? Uh, you go to Ohio, and they have a great job of connecting business and industry together. They generated a work skills readiness seal developing the soft skills for students. Mm. Uh, West Virginia, portfolio. So a student going through high school is, actually has, and Ohio has this also, a portfolio. So you can actually have a, a really working resume when you graduate high school with your credential, certification, work-based learning opportunities besides your academics. So in, at, that has really been, looking at that, that's been great. So here, I've had a great relationship with um, districts throughout the state of Florida, but also great relationships with an industry. So that's where i like, this might be that time. Oh, another component too is because COVID came in and was a disruptor, not necessarily a positive right. disruptor for education. But what it did is it took people an opportunity, to uh, gave an opportunity to take a look again and even like, what are we doing? And result of that too is like the state assessments are now going to be Done away with, replaced with some other component, but to be better. So everybody in the nation took a pause in assessments. So it gave all states to say, all right, how can we do this better? Which means now there's an opportunity to speak into it. So that's where we came into key innovative solutions to connect industry and education. So there is a, a viable sense of communication based on the needs, workforce talent talent pipeline, having students become college and career ready. That's just one of the many opportunities, um, apprenticeship training, getting that, you know, really fostering fantastic relationships here through COVID industry was running around with their hair on fire. And so you have industry like construction, uh, manufacturing, health, it, tourism, all of the, they are trying to survive. But the same sense they know what these needs are um, and they want to connect with education, but then they're trying to hold on for dear life here, and it's almost became prohibitive. So, meanwhile, education also had their hair on fire during this whole COVID experience. So, everybody's kind of like retracted and trying to survive. So, um, this, this is where key has come because you were meeting them and finding out what their particular needs are.
0: Key innovative solutions
1: key innovative solutions and being able to identify that and then work out a pathway or a strategy to connect with an education. And because it's, also, it's meeting a need in industry, it's meeting a, a specific need in education. Mm. And so it's solving that problem but they have not even had time to analyze it or do outreach. For example, education. For them to go out and outreach into businesses throughout the community, that's not on the high of their priority list. It's still needed, but that's it's important, but not urgent. It's precariously close right, to that. Yes. So being able to um, help them through that. And it's really interesting because in the these meetings that we're having and um, developing strategies for districts, or for um, industry partners, it's a sigh of relief. So uh, all these experiences leading up to this has really enabled it to be a, a great time to pivot and to still be significantly impactful in education and policy, even speaking to chancellors, which you consider a student portfolio on an assessment model, as it, and we have in other states. So I'm able to present the policy, how it's written, and recommendations Um, and white papers from these other states to Mm. our leaders in education so it could be thoughtful, and you want to tweak it and change it to what's appropriate here. But the other part as well, uh, different policies that have come through, like uh, the REACH Act that was just passed in this last session.
0: The REACH Act?
1: REACH Act. Reimagining education and career help act, REACH. And with that, it is um, an effort to bring education and industry agency altogether, together like career source florida uh, local career source together in conversation well because of that intent that really opens up a lot of doors as well but um yeah so just the- going
0: back uh, for a few thoughts there karen uh first of all uh, a lot of us are now seeing uh the labor shortage mm-hmm. in the economy for all sorts of reasons and that's really been exacerbated through the pandemic people aren't going back to work, like I said, for a lot of reasons. Maybe they're getting a subsidy from the government. Maybe they just, maybe they became an entrepreneur. Uh, maybe, um, you know, there's they don't, they're, they don't feel safe to go back to work. Like who wants to wear a mask all day working at a restaurant, you know, whatever. There's lots of reasons that people don't go back, uh, aren't going back to work. But this was an issue before COVID, right? This, there are industries that are like looking for work, especially higher skilled mm-hmm. tech industries. And, you know, you've got a lot of people like myself, you know, coming out of college with history majors, you know, you know, whatever it is, liberal arts degrees and sociology and philosophy and creative writing, you know, whatever it is. Great things to study, but sometimes the need that actually uh, the world needs isn't isn't out there. Um, So I know there's been a there's been a big push now for a number of years for um, tech. Type jobs, high-skilled labor type jobs. What was Governor Scott calling it? The um, I forget the, the spe- specific term, but basically those engineering, tech, type STEM, jo- STEM, STEM. Yes. Yes. So, yeah. uh, but there's Science been a, there's been that engineering, issue. math. Yeah. So that so we're seeing that, and then also what you just said. So one of the things I wanted to, maybe, you, maybe you want to comment on that, but also one thing I want to ask you is when you were repurposing maybe white papers from other states. Um, how, are, how are you finding that? Do, are there other associations? Are you doing research? Like, what's your process of finding? You just, you also mentioned all these great examples. West Virginia was doing this and Colorado was doing that. Um, how are you repurposing that? How are you getting that information? How are you learning about it? And then uh, delivering it to uh, policymakers in Florida as one
1: example. That comes as my role as a board member, Southern Region Education Board. Ah, So I'm able to uh, go and speak to them this, you know, it's our, you know, our staff is phenomenal. And I'm like, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I'm hearing in Florida. And that could be an option. Sometimes I even get school board members that make a recommendation. So I go back and I said, do you hear anything like this going on in other states? And then they pull up the research for me so that I get that and that documentation. And then I'm able to go have these conversations with our leaders because of the relationships that we have. Re- um, leaders in, like I said, Career Source Florida, Department of Education, um, economic opportunity, Florida Chamber, and so you you're able to present it with substance instead of like oh this is a great idea I just thought yeah. about this you know but they they want to see the ins and outs in it and the details and as we know the devil's in the details for sure yeah. but you know it's um, asking those questions is like what what's happening so a lot of states can be innovative as well and then you were able to pull it in and tweak it for Florida this is a, a, we're in a really good time legislatively. Because, you know, with our current governor, it's like, let's move fast, let's solve fast. Because you're talking about the uh, workforce challenges before COVID and now it's just ramped up. Mm -hmm. So we need to speed that process up. Another thing that has changed though, is that realizing that for the students, it's, we are no longer wanna wait until they graduate high school and then wait until they graduate college for them to really enter that. So it's exposure to many a career opportunities work-based learning opportunities and it uh it changes the trajectory of a student's journey in high school and then even in college makes college more purposeful when you know where you're going or you, even more beneficial sometimes is knowing what you don't want to do yeah right it's like a, i was a waitress for four hours one day
0: <laughs> one and day. like
1: and i i highly value the wait staff at any restaurant because i couldn't do it yeah so and there's a value in that. So with these uh, students, we find that students that are involved in any career academy, their uh, percentage of gradu- uh, of graduating high school is at 98%. If you're in a career academy, you have a 98% chance of graduating. And then it even makes it more purposeful after that with um, college, because then sometimes these uh, work-based learning opportunities in corporations, businesses, um, Anywhere, work, any companies, sometimes they pick up the tab for your college experience because they are investing yeah, in you. for sure. So you're changing the whole education model in a powerful way. And uh, it's it's really been dynamic. So we love that. One of the um, – and so going back to, uh, let's say, Ohio, they have the work base – or a work uh, skills readiness seal. So that is great because businesses want to know that the student not only is – Maybe have the academics for it, but are they going to be a great team m- member in their company? know are, are they do they work collaboratively? do they are they problem solvers? Uh, How is their critical thinking skills? These are all Im- important skills that are necessary for not just a company, but for life. Yeah. So then there's a, a fantastic company that become part of it. It's called learn to start. And it actually is equipping students through mentorship program and exposure to many, uh, business leaders throughout the world on how to be entrepreneurs, but not like that's just your goal, but it's like developing the skills and having the opportunity to, to fail business. Part yeah. of your experience is, how, what do you learn from your failures? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you're, you, know, you could do that in middle school with high school into college, but it's interesting from that standpoint because you're, you're testing and yeah, that worked, that didn't work. And that is about as critical a process as being an entrepreneur of, oh, okay, yeah. that let's, let's regroup. Uh, well,
0: one thing I liked what you said earlier, you know, just sh- sh- getting the ideas from other states and sharing again, uh, Anyone who's been my student in my class knows I use a book by Matt Ridley called How Innovation Works. And, uh, and, and also, listening to this podcast, one of the things, you, one of the big things with innovation is trial and error. It's also one of the big things in entrepreneurship, right? Trial and error. But what's great is when other states have already tried something, yes. you can figure out what they did right, what they did wrong, apply. It's not going to maybe apply the same way in your state or your, your local area as it did somewhere else but at least you've got some lessons learned, so you've, you've seen some of the trial and error process uh, of the things, so that, that's great. The other thing I thought interesting with your story is here you are, you just mentioned trying to get students in the workforce when they're in high school, when they're in college, before they're finished with their degrees, so they can learn through some of that experience. Like you said, maybe something they don't wanna do or maybe skills that they're developing for a next job. But what's interesting is you're an agent of innovation, Karen, because you you you're, you actually were doing that in like middle school, <laughs> uh, in Mexico, right? So like you were lear- you were learning through these experiences uh, abroad, traveling, but actually doing work there. Uh, maybe it wasn't a paid job, maybe it was some some kind of obligation with your family and everything. But it was still an, a work ethic that was being built. So I think you're a great example. You're like the prime person to be in this position. As the CEO and founder of uh, key innovative solutions, and also on the board you're serving on. The other thing I think is interesting about a lot of times we're asked to do a lot of <laughs> board service type things. I've done some of my share and uh, and and you know you kind of actually, sometimes like, is this really worth my time or should I do this other thing? I mean, I think it's really good that whatever you're going to be involved in, that you put focus on it. You're not just on 10 boards for, to be on 10 boards, but the, um, the great thing for you as well. And I think in anybody to be in these, um, sort of public service or even uh, private nonprofit type service, um, is that you, you gain relationships, you gain experience, you gain knowledge, like your was it the southern regional board
1: yeah southern region education board yeah
0: southern Region education board uh, that's also giving you a lot of access and knowledge to things that you're applying now to your to your uh, position in your in your company that you started um, and so you're you're that's just really great it's a great example and also the way that the, that goes both ways cuz now for the board you have all this background that you can deliver for the state of Florida and for the southern regional education Uh, so I think it's, I think that's all great. And people should, should really think about, you know, when they're getting involved with things in the community, it's not just for community service, but it has these other benefits too, for your own, uh, personal benefit and things that you can learn and apply to your, your life and your career.
1: You're, you have, you cannot emphasize that enough. Like, what are you doing with your spare time, your volunteer activities?
0: What's spare time?
1: Right. (laughs) None. But you're like exactly you have an opportunity to give back and what does that look like and it, there is nothing more enriching than serving there really isn't so when you uh you're right with meeting with these particular people and i could tell you you're right you have defined it correctly that there's some or explain that that sometimes there are people that, oh i'm on 10 boards i'm like so what do you do on any of those? there's not don't get the title make a difference mm-hmm. it would be far better to sometimes be. sometimes on- also
0: i think it's not just some people might be getting the title but i think that people see karen hoffman's of the world and like if you're like i need a board member i need karen hoffman right but then karen hoffman is now asked by like 20 people to be on all these boards and you just can't right a uh, good friend of mine john crossman was uh on one of my early episodes of agents of innovation i think he's in like the 15 range or somewhere way back five or six years ago but one of the things he he said is, um, uh, you know, well, first of all, he says he balances different seasons of life. I remember that particularly. Um, different times of life, he focuses on different things. But also, like uh, he just doesn't have. He's got to say no to so many. You you have to be able to say no to a lot of things so that you can put your focus on the things that you are involved with. So I think that's key too. But anyway, um, yeah. But what's like, your passion? Back Matching your passions. Yeah, match your. But going back to what you're saying. Um, uh, in terms of putting your focus on something what you're focused on right now I think is really key and important it's, and it's 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 overlapping with you know your public service and your and what you're doing in your in your own job
1: well yeah thank you it's like it's you can see the process has been you know way before covid when we were doing these task forces we were getting to know leadership throughout the districts school board members career tech directors. So those relationships have been critical because now it's provided them that voice. Well, now you can, uh, it's really fascinating to see this because Florida really has tremendous educational leadership and and tremendous hearts. And if I, I would, I'd love to introduce you to so many of them because you could see that they are wanting to be disruptive in a positive way in education as well, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, it's as they go in there and they're tackling the, the challenges there. So then when I'm hearing some of the CTE directors I'm like, uh, around the state, I'm like, all right, how can we overcome that challenge? How can we make that better? And, uh, and then, like I said, connecting them with industry. Another component that's really interesting with um, education that doesn't translate to real world, education has a grading system correct
0: grading system yes yeah a b c d yes
1: there's your accountability in the real world it's really only one of two things pass or fail yeah there's no in between either it worked or it didn't work and so we have to uh, provide an environment for students to understand that first of all a fail does not mean failure either because like if your idea didn't work it doesn't mean that you're a failure Uh, My one of my favorite quotes in this kind of like I love this uh, lamp here, but uh, like Thomas Edison, it just yes. And he's like uh, one of his employees. I love his work ethic. His brain is, you know, brilliance on that. One of the my favorite lines from him was uh, one of his employees said to them, listen, we know at this point it was like over 700 experiments that they were looking for this proper filament for the incandescent light bulb. And they're like, Mr. Edison." You know we're so exhausted. I mean, we like clearly we're not. We're just it's not going to work, and we have failed. And Edison is like, we haven't failed. We have successfully found over seven hundred ways that it doesn't work. That's right. I'm like, what an. I think optimist. it ended up
0: being like ten thousand or something. It was something crazy.
1: The other uh, quote that I love, and I use all the time. I even just this last week in a conversation it says, "There's always a way to do it better. Find it. Like, do not be settled. Uh, don't mm-hmm. settle for status quo." Don't you know? Like, continue to make it better. So that's a, a great well, good
0: say. example. We're sitting in Bob Rubin's office, and he had a great event the other night at the cigar lounge, and it was it was a company hosted event, and it was it was really I mean, it was amazing. And I, ha, I he invited me to invite a few friends there, and I mean, we were just blown away by just the, how cool. No
1: uh, pun intended, at a cigar lounge. Lounge, sorry. Blown yeah. away. No.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was it was so cool. And Bob called me the next day. Oh, well, I texted him and I said that was that was an amazing event. I've been to a lot of events. Like I was like that was an amazing night. And he 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 called me and he said, "Thank you. Glad you came. Glad your friends came. What would you do to make it better?" Excellent. I was and I was actually taken aback because I was like, I I don't know. Maybe I mean, I was like it was really amazing, Bob. Actually, you know what? I I did give him one little thing. I go, I'm really nitpicking here, but the <laughs> uh, but the. Uh, you had a so hand rolled cigars, which were given out at the event, so that was great. You had a you had a free bourbon tasting, so that was great. Perfect and you match. got one bourbon, you know. So I said, Bob, it was free, so I'm not asking you for a second bourbon. But uh, but when the when the woman came around and said the the free bourbon was gone, I said, oh well, let me just order one myself. I'll buy it. Well, we're out of that bottle, the one that was the featured bourbon for mm. the night. So I said, if I was you or the bourbon company that provided that, I would just have more back there that we could buy. Cause now we've tasted it and we might like it. So is that like, like, the, like the event was amazing. Like that was such a nitpicky thing to say, but he made me go and sit and ask and how many people came, maybe 50 people came to the event. If he asked half those people, you know, what was one thing, I'm sure he gets a lot of great feedback, you know, and feedback, again, another great thing helps with entrepreneurship and innovation um that you can you need that feedback for people so karen
1: well real quick before you go on with that it's interesting you say that about him because he's a phenomenal community leader yeah. business leader and yet he is continually looking for ways to be better but it's interesting that how impactful that was to you because He's ask, you know, you're being heard by him individually. What would you do to make it better? Yeah. So you're never gonna forget that, and yeah. so that is just as important as him asking the question. Is your well,
0: he's also teaching me yes. as as a leader yeah. or so, as an entrepreneur to also ask that question. Yes. Right. And the things I do to be better. Um. So Karen, just uh, we've had a, a amazing conversation here. The conversations with you are always amazing. Now people actually get to listen to my conversation with you. Um. But the so we've gone through a lot of things, but I wanted to ask you something um, you, you, you mentioned it briefly in the conversation. if anybody picked it up, you, you said something about mentorship. Uh, why is mentorship important? and what role do you see mentors uh, playing uh, that have been playing in your life and maybe the life of others um, and, and you know in your life and your career, but but why is it mentorship important?
1: Uh, I, I, mentorship is a fantastic relationship. That should be we should be actively participating in. So we are being mentored at the same time that we are mentoring. And you know full well as an educator, you know at a university, that the person, the person in that room that is learning the most is you.
0: Mm, that's true,
1: right? Yeah, it's like they they are learning, and you love that part of it, but you really are learning when you're teaching. You have to immerse yourself in this. Um, like none other. So as impactful of it, so in your mentorship relationship, how much are you pulling out of that? So we can't get into the mindset that is like, well, I, I, I'm, I'm mentoring, so it's going to take away from me. It only enhances us. The other part, though, too, is who who is leading and then you're asking them, I really want to pick your brain. When you get that those people and you sit down and say, I just need to pick your brain, it it changes that whole conversation. Because I want to, and then you're privy to information that is helping you learn to, um, so I can speed this process along a little bit better to be more effective. But the network that you have is, it's explosive Mm -hmm. because of, of that and that active relationships. You're making those uh, relationships meaningful. And then when you're running into this challenge, then you can say, I know someone who might Help me overcome it, have some creative thought to do that. Okay, go back to our Edison um, <laughs> uh, analogy, uh, the stories about him. Go back to him and Ford. If you go over to Florida Henry Ford? Yes, yeah, Henry Ford. Lived thank next you. They to each other, right? They did by choice. Well, I don't know if you know this too, like I'm a little bit of student history, like you are is um, Edison ended up there in Fort Myers because he saw the bamboo trees and he was thinking that mm. the bamboo might be that filament that he could use. Oh, interesting. So he does that. Well, earlier on, um, Henry Ford was thinking that Thomas Edison was going to kind of take off and run on a particular uh, deal with a car, and he so almost intimidated Henry Ford. So then when they finally had a conversation, Henry Ford is younger than Thomas Edison um, Thomas Edison says, "Oh I'm just messing around with that you do that and it really began oh, it began that mentorship relationship to the point that Henry Ford wanted to spend more time that's why they live next to each other because Henry Ford couldn't get enough of Thomas Edison yeah. and that um, and then it was also part of Flagler and Firestone as well so that that group, that mindset, The um, one of my favorite pictures is a black and white of Edison and Ford sitting in their suits on the stoop of the house, you know, and, and they look like little boys because they're just enjoying the conversation. But can you imagine being in a room listening to these innovators? So that's the benefit that we get. We, you know, Ford enhanced Edison's relationship and enhanced Edison, Edison enhanced Ford and, you know, so on. So that's where the mentorship is critical. We need to be, be purposeful, deliberate.
0: And and, you know, uh, I think I know your answer based on what the example you just gave, but I was going to ask, does mentorship ever end? Is there ever a point where you've been so successful, you don't need a mentor? Mm, no, No, no,
1: no. Uh, do you get to the point where you feel like you know everything? <laughs> right? We were talking about our Spanish earlier, right? And you guys know, are like, how fluent is your Spanish? And I'm like, oh, it could be better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. Mm-hmm. So, and that is, uh, I think a, what's really a, attractive too is that humility because then you become a willing to receive information to make me better. And I'm like, oh, I want to. You, you came away from that cigar event and you're like, oh. To have access to these minds and to listen to this, right? Yeah, it, it just made you better after that event. So that's what we can do. You're right. We never stop uh, learning, but giving, but being involved in both ends, having a mentor always, and then always mentoring. And it's yeah. and sometimes that mentorship could be just one meeting. Sometimes it could be years. So it just, being open to that yeah, always.
0: listening to others, yeah. You know, that's honestly going back to, that's what we're trying to do in the Fearless Journeys community too, right? Provide, have these role models be mentors in a lot of ways. And it could be in a one-time session, but it could be that people meet through these sessions and they collaborate a little more and they, they, maybe they, they hire someone or, you know, whatever it is, that or they, or they just form some friendships. And so hopefully that will do be good. And we'll also hopefully have some more in-person events and group trips and things like that you know you just made me think like i should go scout out this uh thomas edison and henry ford home and i don't know maybe one day we'll do a fearless journeys trip to uh, southwest florida and and go go hang out at their homes and maybe smoke some cigars that they let us <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a it's a great backdrop i, mean, like, I love the stories you know but yeah. again i even i learned from them i didn't know them clearly right. well you know that's the, the great the thing about reading yes I love,
0: right is because like you can I mean, I'm actually in the middle of... I've been reading this book, I feel like, half the year because it's long, and I just kind of put it down and pick it up. But Mark Twain's book, The Innocents Abroad, which is one of his few nonfiction books, but it was a, a book about his journey on this steamship in the late 1860s. Think about it, like, a few years after the Civil War ends. A bunch of wealthy, elite-type Americans go across the ocean on a steamship, and they travel through Europe, and then they eventually get to the Holy Land. And I'm still where they're, like, in Italy or something. But... Mark Twain is hilarious. And also, speaking of cigars, my mom's going to hate this podcast because she doesn't like that I smoke cigars, but I keep saying this. But Mark Twain smoked like a lot of cigars, and so there's a lot of references. It's hard to imagine him without one. So I'm sitting here, you know, (laughs) just imagine me, Karen, sitting on my back porch in Guatemala where I was living and, um, you know, reading Mark Twain, smoking my cigar, reading, you know, hearing him talk about smoking his cigar in, you know, Italy or on some steamship. But it's funny, you have that, like, this guy, this was like 160 years ago, and I feel like I was like there with him, you know, like you, there's a way that you can kind of in up through a book, uh, connect with people. And also, uh, that was a trip he took, right? But also, um, just the, like, if you read a biography or even an autobiography by somebody, Booker T. Washington, I read his, like one of his autobiography books, Up From Slavery, and it's like you just you tap into all that knowledge and you actually feel like you were there in some way, or you, you can relate to the situation, by the way, another great book gone with the wind. It's a fiction, but it, there's no book. I think that makes you feel like you were like in like the 1850s, 1860s uh, and beyond that, um, than uh, than gone with Better the wind because like, it just really captured the era. Right. So even through a fiction work like that. So I think that that's a way that we can learn from people in the past. Is through books, and that's why I think books are so um, so transformative as well. But anyway, Karen, um, yeah, this has been really fantastic. Uh, any any parting words other than all the amazing advice you've already given to our audience? Any parting words about entrepreneurship, innovation, things? Maybe you want to mention how can um, you know what are what you're doing? How can people learn more? Where can they go? Uh, feel free to leave us with any parting thoughts.
1: Francisco, thanks for this opportunity. I always enjoy our conversations and like we, and like we always have to go, yeah. you know, it's like, I don't want to go, but I have to, but I don't want to. And I love that because I also come away with my conversations with you better because of ideas and you challenge uh, in a great way. So that's, uh, uh, an important part of that component for us, like in my website is key Innovates.
0: Key innovates. Yeah,
1: key innovates because we're innovating now. It's not like yeah. we're thinking about. It. Let's talk about. I like it now. the
0: key too because it's like you got to turn. You got. You're the key to the to starting the car. We're or something.
1: unlocking crazy yeah. solutions, you know, to make it possible, and it's really been fantastic. I have to tell you too, and I travel a lot, I'll, consistently too. You know that we're. Oh, we're yeah. We love our travel. But anytime anybody says, "So, so, what do you do?" and I explain it, people lean in. They're like, "That is so needed," and I love. The fact that when you're trying to, you know, just share like, what do I do, that is purposeful and impactful, and that people just almost like breathe a sigh of relief, like I want to be a part of that, like or I know someone that you need to talk to, uh, it's just it's really been neat. So the um, people love the fact that there is a solution; they're over complaining. They want something to happen positively. So, And specifically with students, people around, you know, they are concerned about our students and they want them to do well so they could see this. Um, and we were speaking to someone this week and they're, in their mind, um, they were listening to our conversation about this opportunity with this entrepreneurial program. But they're listening to the, um, through the uh, mindset of what their own child's going through, mm. adult child. And if they had these experiences, how that would have changed yeah. their frustration level now. So having that, um, I would say get out and experience, um, immerse yourself, talk to people, get into that. But you know, if, if there's a way that we can help any industry with some creative solutions and um, really tapping into students um, before they graduate high school or college, then we're all about that.
0: Well, that's great. And Karen, thanks so much uh, you know, for being an agent of innovation and for being on the Agents of Innovation podcast. And just a reminder to the audience before we go, uh, subscribe so that you can get all the great other conversations we're going to have. Go back, listen to other ones and also write a review because that's so important. So more people can learn about this podcast and hear Karen's voice and get exposed to more agents of innovation like Karen Hoffman. That's with two F's M-A-N. That's it, Perfect. Karen Hoffman. Thank you so much, oh, wait. Karen.
1: Also, real quick, it's not the K A R E N.
0: Oh, that's right. It's you're not that kind of Karen. I am not that Karen. Yes, I am the K A R I N. You are K A R I N. Yes. yes, I
1: I laugh about that just to, for a kick of it. But it you're just kind of being a Karen
0: like, about Karen. Well, you know no, what? I, was
1: I was kind of I just come back to me. You know, I'm not that <laughs> that Karen. Well done. Well, to all the Karens, oh, we, ap- I we, we apologize. To, no, that's true. <laughs> to be fair, I um uh. On Halloween, I posted that on Facebook that I decided to go as the K A R E N.
0: That's that's hilarious.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much, though, Francisco. This has been just so enjoyable. It always is. Thank you for what you're doing. You provided a platform to, for for us to hear also from fantastic innovators you know, throughout and it just continues. So you're doing a a, a fantastic job. Well thanks of that. for
0: being such a great friend and mentor yourself over all these years. We've like you said, we've had so many amazing conversations. We learn from each other and I learn a lot from you. So thank you for being on the Agents of Innovation podcast.
1: Uh great.
2: I can hardly wait for the day when all the worries in my head fade away. But every time I turn on my television, someone's always giving me bad vibrations. Maybe if I close my eyes, I'll only see the pattern of blue, blue skies. everything's the sunshine without the sunshine going i need to find more of it cause with the world in decline you know i need more of the sunshine i can hardly wait for the time when all the troubles in my life don't supply my mind with all of these ill intentions Need to stop picking up good vibrations Maybe if I close my eyes I only see the pad of blue, blue skies